So many home fragrance scents smell unnatural, super sweet, chemically, or maybe even like a part of the mall you can't wait to escape. And after learning that the candle industry contributes to an insurmountable amount of non-recyclable waste, carbon emissions, and toxicity in our air, I am so happy that Notes Candles exists. Notes Candles is on a mission to help eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option without giving up high-quality fragrance that actually seems amazing. I have been loving burning the Santal and Atlas Cedar scent. It's woodsy, calming, and smells so good. I can't get enough. I love it. And they have other amazing one-of-a-kind fragrances like oat milk and balsam berry, vanilla and pepperwood, and pistachio and rose water. Every single one of them is exceptional. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high-quality home fragrance by making the switch to Notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notecandles.com slash bestofyou. Right now, Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy a Notes starter kit using code bestofyou. Just use code bestofyou when placing your order. That's code bestofyou at notescandle.com slash bestofyou. I've started adding Organifi's unflavored collagen into my food every single day. It's sourced from four real food ingredients, including pasture-raised cows, wild-caught fish, eggshell membranes, and organic bone broth protein. It helps replenish and rebuild the body's most abundant protein, and you'll enjoy the benefits of healthy skin, hair, and strong nails. You can easily integrate it into your day as I have by adding it into your morning coffee or your favorite stew, meal, or dessert, or into one of your other favorite Organifi beverages, such as Glow. Organifi's superfood blends offer plant-based nutrition and high-quality ingredients. Each blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses, and they are such a great replacement for those sugary snacks you're tempted to reach for in the afternoon or late at night before bed. The best part is that you can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Head over to www.organifi.com slash bestofyou and use code bestofyou for 20% off your entire order. That's www www.organifi.com slash best of you. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison, and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past, and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Best of You podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I missed you guys last week. I took a mini break during the middle of the summer, and I'm so happy to be back today with you with a brand new back to school series This series is about parenting and kids and culture. This will apply to you if you're a parent, but even if you're not a parent, we've got some really great topics just on anxiety and the culture in general and how to stay healthy as an adult human, which is what all of us need, not only for our own kids, but for every kid and all the people in our lives. You'll see a theme through all of these episodes. The more we do our own work to become healthy, to become whole, to become centered, to learn what it means to embody those C words, those C words we talk about in Boundaries for Your Soul, and also back in episodes 39 and 40 on the podcast, calm, confident, clear, creative, curious, courageous, compassionate, 
and connected, right? These grounding words where we know we are leading from that spirit-led place inside, from a calm nervous system where we're leading ourselves and we're leading our emotions, not the other way around, right? When we're in that place, we are going to be the best parents we can be. We're also going to be the best neighbors, the best aunts, the best uncles, the best siblings, the best godparents, the best grandparents. All of those roles we step into with greater clarity and with greater courage when we're calm and doing the work ourselves. And so these episodes are really for all of us who are trying to show up more effectively in the lives of the people we love. So in today's episode, I'm talking with a fellow therapist, Sissy Goff. Sissy's amazing. And we really get into today why it's so important for us to not parent out of worry, out of anxiety, and what holds us back from that. Why is it so hard not to let our worry and our anxiety take us over, especially when we're parenting, but really in any challenging situation? And some of the even really well-intentioned coping tactics we all have that actually get in the way of allowing our kids to grow and develop and thrive and develop their own coping strategies as they deal with worry and anxiety. So this is complicated to tease out, right? We're trying to parent our kiddos through worry and anxiety. Meanwhile, we have to deal with our own worry and anxiety in order to do that. So if you are looking for more resources as you're listening to this episode, First, please check out Sissy's brand new book called The Worry-Free Parent, Finding the Confidence You Need So Your Kids Can Too. And that's exactly what this book is about. It's a real deep dive with a ton of practical content to help you figure out how to major in the majors, what's important, what matters, let go of what you can't control, let go of what's not yours to control so that you can show up in the way that your kids need. And another resource you might consider are episodes 39, 40, and 41, or my book with Kim Miller, Boundaries for Your Soul, which is all about differentiating from parts of us. And in particular, in this case, you'd be differentiating from an anxious part of you as it comes out in your parenting, from a worry part of you as it comes out in this world, and learning to take charge of that part of you. So again, you're leading from that calm, clear place inside where you're showing leadership, right? Where you're majoring in what's major and letting go of the rest, and you're seeing clearly to help guide your kids through the challenges that they face. So with all that being said, I am so thrilled to bring you today my conversation with Sissy Goff. Sissy is the Executive Director of Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, Tennessee. Since 1993, she's been helping young kids and their parents find confidence in who they are and hope in who God is making them to be. Sissy is a sought-after speaker for parenting events across the country and is a frequent guest on media outlets including CNN, Good Morning America, Inside Edition, NBC, and Christianity Today. She's the best-selling author of 13 books, including her brand-new book, which we talk about today, The Worry-Free Parent, Finding the Confidence You Need So Your Kids Can Too. It's such a great resource. Sissy's a gem, and I'm so thrilled to bring you our conversation on today's podcast episode. Thank you so much for being here, Sissy. I was just so thrilled that you have this book coming out and have so many questions for you and just really excited to have you on the podcast today. So thank you for being with us. Well, I'm so honored to get to be. I've long been an admirer of yours, and it's fun to get to connect and 
and be kind of in person as much as we can be, thanks to technology. Thanks to technology. There's so much more we can do this way. I kind of want to dive right in. Sissy, I mean, you've been working with kids for 30 years. Is that right? Yes. And I'm curious, what got you started? Why kids? Why did you start out specializing working with kids? You know, I wonder how many counselors would say this very same Mm -hmm. answer, but I think I became the person I wish I'd had in my life growing up. And I I grew up in a family where we didn't talk a lot about emotions or what was going on. I mean, back in the 70s, nobody was really talking about that a lot. No one was passing feelings charts around the dinner table to talk about that. And I was the kind of kid who smiled all the time, no matter what was going on. And, And I had a lot of really amazing mentors in my life. But I think I would have loved to have had someone who had said, hey, sissy, no one smiles all the time. There's got to be more going on inside of you. And I I just didn't. And when did you start doing this work? Uh, It's been about 25 years ago myself. Yeah. So similar. And I did not know a person who was in counseling. I didn't know people talking about counseling. And the only person I ever heard of doing something like this, you're going to laugh because we're probably, I'm older than you probably, but we're close to the same age, was Marlena from Days of Our Laughs. (laughs) And she was a child psychologist. And I thought, well, that sounds cool. (laughs) Wait, was she really? I I forget she was. I think so. See, I wasn't allowed, quote unquote, to watch Days of Our Lives, but I would sneak it. (laughs) And frankly, I think part of it was similar to what you're saying, because in the 80s, when I grew up, we still weren't really talking about feelings. And so some of the only ways you could get that was through television. Yes. You, you know, you'd hear people having these dramatic conversations or whatever. So that is so interesting that Marlena was a child psychologist. Isn't that funny? Can I ask you how you got started? You know, for me, it really was. My specialty is in faith and psychology. My PhD is in religion and psychology. So for me, it was I had this really deep faith in Jesus. I had a really strong faith, but I had no clue who I was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know that it was okay to think about myself, to look at myself, to understand myself. I thought that was selfish. So everything I've done is all about really focusing on, wait a minute, it's not selfish to look at your own feelings, to understand your own needs, to think about your own nervous system. So for me, psychology was coming alongside of my faith, going, it's great to know a lot about God. We need that. And also, we need to know about ourselves. That's part of becoming a human, a healthy whole human. And I love that you're taking that to parenting. The best gift we have to give to our children is to become our whole selves, which means we've got to deal with our own anxieties. We've got to deal with our own fears. Yes. Yes. That's a beautiful way to put that, to become our whole selves. And we get to reflect more of Jesus the more we know of ourselves because we're able to be more authentically the parts of him that's he's placed inside of us. That's so cool. Thank you yeah. for sharing that with me. Yeah. I love hearing that. Yeah. Well, I love that you became that person that you had wanted to have be there for you. You became that safe attachment figure for other children, which is really what, what we're doing as therapists. We're becoming that reparative experience. So as I read the worry-free parent, and I don't want to project onto you, but as I was thinking about what you were doing through my therapist lens, is I could imagine (laughs) you've worked with kids for 30 years, and through that, you're also working with parents. And I imagine, because it's really a book to parents, and in such a gentle, beautiful way, I hear you coming alongside parents saying, you guys are really the solution here. You're the solution to your kids' anxiety. Tell me what led you to want to write this book, especially to parents. 
Yes, exactly that. I mean, I I can think of a parent I met with not long ago who came in and she was very concerned about her daughter and her level of anxiety. And the longer I sat with this mom in my time with her, I mean, you know how it is when someone's really anxious. It's like it wafts over to you. You can't help but absorb it. And and I was feeling it as I sat there with her and trying to be really gracious and say, have you ever thought about going to see somebody yourself? You know, tell me about your family history, all of that. And she said, which I so appreciate, she said, you know, I have a very limited amount of funds and I have a very limited amount of time. And so I've got to prioritize getting my daughter in. And I think a lot of parents feel that way. And that feels like good parenting. I mean, I'm going to take care of my child first. And with this mom, it was evident that what her daughter really needed was for her mom to do the work herself first. And, you know, everything we know about family systems, the cogs are dependent upon each other and they're keeping each other turning. And so if the daughter had just gotten help and not the mother, then nothing would really get better. And so I wanted this mom to get help herself because it's a trickle down. I mean, it's contagious. And and her daughter was young enough. I really did feel like it was the source was the mom. And and in her most well-intentioned, loving heart, she was just missing it. Yeah, exactly. I love that. That in our most well-intentioned moments, we can still miss the very thing our kids need, which is for us to take that time, maybe even a little bit away from them. Yes. In order to become healthier so that the time that we're with them is more constructive, is of a higher quality, has more of that non-anxious presence. Yes. Right? I know so many of the moms I work with, it's all about, they think that just more, 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 more is better. And I'm always saying, actually, what's better is quality. If you can give those kids just some quality moments of that non-anxious presence. You say in the book, and I thought this was such a powerful quote, you say, a parent's job is to be the calmest person in the room. That's a direct quote from a parent I was meeting with. I mean, it was a beautiful statement by this dad. And this couple that I work with who I really, I think, are doing an amazing job with their kids. They don't have parents that have modeled, neither one of them, anything that they want to do as parents. And and so they we do parent consults at Daystar where we're just, parents are just coming in to talk about their parenting and things they could tweak. And that's what we were doing. And, and he was talking about how they both get angry with their daughter more than they want to, which I feel like you and I could talk about that. I'm hearing that from parents more than I've ever heard it before. And he said, I was yelling at her. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice that I had recently heard at a conference I went to who said, he said, I'm the CEO of my company. And he said, this teacher said, a CEO's job is to be the calmest person in the room. And he said, I thought as a dad, I think my job as a parent is to be the calmest person in the room and I am blowing it. You're bringing up such a good point. Why are we all so on high alert right now? There's so much going on in our world. You see all the things parents are dealing with. There's so much that we are dealing with, let alone our kids. And I think to myself sometimes, probably our collective nervous systems are activated Yes. And, you know, there's lots of research on all the reasons why. You know, I don't know if there's any way to quantify that over history, but we certainly know this isn't a calm period of our history. I guess what I first want to ask you is, do you think, you've been doing this for 30 years, are you seeing more anxiety? The stats are telling us kids are more anxious. I'm sure parents are more anxious. Do you actually see that 
in your practice. Sometimes I look at the stats and I think that there's truth in them. And I also wonder, we're also diagnosing more, mm-hmm. right? We have more names to put on these things than maybe we did 30 years ago. So tell me, you've had a bird's eye view with kids. What do you think about that? Oh, I love that you're saying that. I'm so glad we're friends now because I think we think very similarly. Yes, I think we're diagnosing more than we've ever diagnosed before. And I think we're over-diagnosing so many things today. And at the same time, yes, I'm seeing more anxious kids and more anxious parents than I ever have before. And especially, I would say, for children, you know, the average age of onset used to be eight. It's dropped to six. And I would say elementary school age kids, I'm seeing it more than I ever have. And then there is this significant uptick around puberty. And so in those two time periods, I'm seeing it among adolescents too, but especially those ages. Mm -hmm. Do you have any sense of the why? Like you said, I think there's so many things we can talk about. I have never felt like there was as much pressure in as many areas of a child's life. And I don't think it's pressure that parents are putting on kids. I think it's cultural pressure that Mm -hmm. kids are supposed to be excelling academically in ways that I don't think we even, it would have even occurred to us that we could do as well Mm -hmm. as kids are putting pressure on themselves to do. They're supposed to be excelling athletically, artistically, and be doing five different activities at all times and in leadership positions. Honestly, there are times that I think, how do I become a lobbyist and go to the government and say, we've got to do something academically. It's too much for kids anymore. And I I really do believe that. I think there's so much pressure. I think we could talk about technology. I think that parents are over parenting right now. And, you know, I, I mean, I think when you're talking about how things have changed and asking why I got into this. I mean, you know, when you think about the 70s and 80s, I mean, especially in the 70s, I think the only parenting book was Dr. Spock. Mm -hmm. And all that I know, he said, was smile a lot at your kids because that's the only thing my mom took from it. And she smiled a lot. And my sister and me, and ironically, that's the compliment we hear the most is that we smile a lot. But, you know, I think here you and I are speaking to parents and adults a lot from a mental health standpoint, but I think there's so many people giving input into all the things that parents and all of us are supposed to be doing. And I think that is lending itself to parents feeling more like failures than ever before. I mean, I just think there's so many things that are factoring in. And I think too, which you could speak to this, Allison, more than I could even, I'm seeing parents who are, I think, overcompensating for what they felt like they didn't get. And so they're over identifying emotionally with their kids and they're hearing them and attuning to them, but they're not giving them coping strategies to work through it. We're just being really candid here, listeners. So (laughs) here are two therapists giving their thoughts on, I sometimes think of it as the pendulum, right? I guess I was probably on the back end of the children should be seen and not heard parenting approach, which is, you know, talk about your feelings. The focus is on behavior especially when you bring the Christian overlay into it, which was part of my experience. And I do see what you're seeing. There's so much attunement, and obviously we need attunement. We know that attachment is so important. We also know that children need boundaries. We know that children need resilience. We know that children need to learn to cope. We know that children need to be able to survive hard situations. And so I do think you're right. I do think that pendulum can swing so far the other way to put so much pressure on parents, but it's also not so good for our kiddos who sometimes need to learn a little bit the hard way. You know, again, it's that healthy balance. I think of that book, um, Dopamine Nation. Have you read that book, Dopamine Nation? She talks about the pleasure pain principle and how we need just enough, a little bit of hard things, 
because that actually regulates in the brain the pleasure, the balance of both. We have to learn how to deal with challenging things in order to have that proper balance. So I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. So you talk about this in the book. You talk about these different parenting traps, one being the helicopter parent. What are some of the other ways that you see parents maybe just out of really good intentions, but not quite getting it right? Yes. And I'm glad you said that. And that's what, I mean, as we're being candid, that's what I would want to take it back to. Again, if you're doing any of these things, it's because you're a really good parent and you're trying so hard to love your kids. You want the best for them. And out of that wanting the best, I think helicopter parenting is definitely one. And I kind of made these up based on what I'm seeing the most. And one of them would be snowplow parenting, that idea of we're going to clear the path ahead of them so they don't have to deal with hard things. We can make the bump smooth and make it really easy on them. Backhoe parenting where I'm going to clean up their failure because I don't want them to have to deal with the repercussions of their failure. It is too much. Sidecar parenting, which I feel like we both see this probably too a lot, where this is what I went through when I was growing up and she's just like me. So I'm going to step in because I assume that she's feeling exactly what I felt. And so she's going to be in the sidecar zooming around with me. And then parade float parenting, where I'm going to make this as fun as it possibly can. And we're going to entertain ourselves along the way. So you won't feel any sadness or anything hard. I love cooking at home, but there's nothing worse than when food sticks to your pans. And that's why I'm so excited to introduce you to our new sponsor, Green Pan. Green Pan introduced the world to ceramic nonstick cookware, and they are the leaders in creating cookware without harmful toxins. I love how my Green Pan frying pan cooks everything through so evenly without any of that sticky food left on the pan. And it is so easy to clean up. Aside from various cookware collections, Green Pan also carries kitchen appliances like slow cookers, waffle makers, bakeware, and premium cutlery. And they've got a 60-day return policy, so you have plenty of time to make sure Green Pan is right for you. So toss those plastic pans and upgrade your cookware with Green Pan. Head to greenpan.us and use promo code best of you and you'll receive 30% off your entire order plus free shipping on orders over $99. That's right, that's 30% off. Whether you buy one pan or a whole set, that's 30% off. So head to greenpan.us and make sure you use our promo code best of you or they won't know we sent you. I'm so thrilled that this podcast is sponsored by Relief Band. When someone in your family, or maybe it's you, has to skip school or skip work because you are so nauseous, it's such a terrible feeling. And if that sounds familiar, you need a relief band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The relief band itself just looks like a really cool watch or accessory you wear on your wrist to give you relief from nausea and uses technology that works with your body so it's safe, drug-free, and has zero side effects. It's that simple. Plus, it treats and prevents nausea so you can help stop nausea from becoming a problem in the first place. So if you always have a flashlight on hand for a blackout or a first aid kit on hand for emergencies, then you need a relief band for those unexpected nausea moments. Right now, we've got an exclusive offer just for Best of You listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code Best of You, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B 
B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code BEST OF YOU for 20% off plus free shipping. What do you encourage parents who are listening? How do you mitigate? How do you begin to, because all of this is driven by anxiety, right? To bring this back. I was thinking about how there's all these headlines screaming about anxiety. Our kids are anxious. You know, it's such an anxious world. I think the news is half of what's feeding all of the anxiety. And the response to all that is more anxiety. We start to clench, (laughs) right? Our nervous system goes into that fight flight state. We start to get more anxious and we double down on the anxious parenting, which is the exact opposite of what it means to be the calmest parent in the room, which means when we read all the headlines, when we see all the anxiety, when we see all the, the landmines and the pitfalls that our kids might be even headed toward, actually the response is not to double down on one of those styles that you just listed. It's actually to take a step back and do the work of calming ourselves. So how do we do that, right? The first step I would think is just to begin to understand, oh my gosh, this is the voice of anxiety. Yes. This is the voice of anxiety. I've got to take a U-turn and do my own work to work through my own anxiety. I love that. How do you talk parents through that? I wonder if you experience this too. I think there's something that happens with the amygdala. That's the part that's taking over, as we know, that it's almost like when you lived in a dorm or a sorority house and one person would start their period and then everyone's on their period. I feel like one amygdala gets activated and everyone is in that place where everyone's screaming, panicking, you know, going down in the spiral together. I don't know that that's scientific, but it feels like it's what happens. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So what to do, you know, the first thing I would say is, and again, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. We have probably the same ideas, but I want every family to have a code word and a humorous code word, I think is even better. So it could make you all laugh when you say it, but anybody in the family has the authority to say watermelon or whatever it is. And when that is said, we're going to stop. Because like you said, if we're functioning out of our amygdala, we're not going to get to a rational place. There's going to be no productivity in conversation. There's going to be no healing. So there's nothing good is going to come, like you said. And so I think we need a pause, a word that makes us pause and each go to our separate spaces. And I will say to parents, it is fine if you need to go to the bathroom and lock the door. It is absolutely fine just to get away from them in that moment. And then it was funny when you were talking earlier, Allison, I was thinking, I would bet you're an amazing therapist because even the way that you talk as you're engaging with someone, you talk slowly and it's like my breathing is being regulated as I'm hearing you talk and breathe. And I think that's where we know we need to start is we've got to slow down with parents and we've got to, we know, get their bodies calmed back down so their blood vessels can dilate, the blood flow can shift back to the cortex, all the things that we know because- I think it's easy for people to feel like mindfulness is really like the hokey pokey and there's nothing to it. And instead, it changes the chemistry of our brains in those moments. And we can come back and have that healing conversation. That's so true. And no matter what, I mean, you have seen it all. You are truly working with parents who have seen the worst of the worst, right? And no matter what, I just want people to hear it is just going back to that breath of, I am here in the moment. I have what my kids need in the moment. They have my love. And I always think, sissy, that is how God loves us. God doesn't always fix it. God doesn't always make it better. God doesn't always clear the path ahead of us. But God is always with us. And that's what we're modeling for our kids. We may not be able to fix it for them. We may not be able to make it better after them. 
But you know what? We're going to be with them through it. And that's what they need. We have to find that in ourselves. And I love that you go through the such practical mindfulness, grounding, breath work as parents that really works to keep you in the moment with those kids. And that's what they need. It's what they need. And anxiety pulls us right out of it. We are not there with them in those moments. The other thing I love that you talk about in your book, Sissy, is this is another fantastic quote. If you don't learn to stop criticizing yourself, that very same criticism will spill over onto your kids. Tell us a little bit about that. What's the danger of our own critical self-talk for our kiddos? Well, I would say I am one who has a lot of critical self-talk. And somebody said that to me, a good friend said that to me years ago. She said, you cannot hate yourself that much without some of that hate spilling over onto the people closest to you. And it had never occurred to me up until that point that that's what happened. And are you an Enneagram person? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm a one. What are you on the Enneagram? Three wing two. Okay. I always tell Beth McCord I'm a two and a half. I ask her if that's the real thing. (laughs) I love that. I'm a 2.5. 2.5. That's good. That's a great combo. Yes. So you do too then with some three. I mean, I feel like there's some... and. Too. I mean, you've got yeah. it too. And and I think when that starts and when we're, and again, I'm seeing parents do this more than ever where I feel like they're being so hard on themselves and so critical of themselves. Yeah. And I just think there's no way to stop that voice from spilling out onto them because we have such high expectations of ourselves and we're not meeting them. And inevitably we end up putting the same high expectations on them. And maybe it's not academically, but in terms of their character. I mean, our work, as you said before, our work is always going to ripple over onto them. And so when we're learning to have a kinder, gentler voice with ourselves, we're going to have a kinder, gentler voice with them. And, And like you said, it doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean we don't give them consequences. But at the same time, I think we're compounding the problem if we're just all in this shame spiral together. Yeah, there's such a difference when you're in a calm place yourself When you say to your child, you know, I love you and we're not going to do this now. And there's that, it actually carries more authority and more weight when we are calm than when we're activated and yelling or, you know, trying to extinguish a behavior versus entering into it with that. Again, we're humans, we're fallible, we make lots of mistakes. I love in the book that you say we get 50% of it, right? You got, where Mm, did you get that? I love that. Dan Allender. Yes. So good. I know. Well, and, and what you're saying, Allison, one of the things I've seen happen, you know, all the trends we could talk about, you know, I think kids are struggling with self-regulation more than ever before. And, and part of what I'm watching happen in counseling is kids, rather than learning to use coping strategies, are using their parents as coping strategies. Wow. And so I'm really, I'm a child and I've gotten all in my amygdala and I'm reactionary in this moment and upset. If I can draw you into that battle with me, then I'm going to have an emotional release and I'm going to feel better because I got all that out. Yes. Which we know is a terrible pattern to be learning for the rest of our lives if that becomes how we process our emotions is by drawing someone else into a fight. Wow. That's so interesting. It's sort of, it's almost like co-regulation, but the unhealthy version of that. Yes. I never thought about it like that. That's exactly what it is. Instead of co-regulating them in the sense of we become that calm presence, which allows them to regulate themselves We get drawn into it with them. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I love that you talk about this in your book toward the end as parents about trusting your gut. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And it goes back to something you said about there's so much information out there. There's just this information highway, I think, can kind of freak any parent out. There's just so much. It's it's almost the opposite of what we had, right? When we were little, there was almost no information. Now there's too much. It's saturation. And so I love that in the middle of that, you're saying at the end of the day, you are their parent. You know what they need. And so talk to us a little bit about that. You know, it's good to read books. It's good to learn about these things. We need to educate ourselves. But at the end of the day, we are the parent. We are the ones God has put in our child's life. So what's that balance? How do we know, you know, when to kind of let the noise fade away and just be in that moment with our kids? How do we know how to do that? Well, I I mean, you saying we've got to do our own work. I mean, I think that's the biggest piece of it because I think the danger with anxiety, you know, with kids, we talk about it being like the worry monster. With teenagers, I talk about it being the worry whisper, but we all have that voice in our heads. And with a kid, with a fifth grader, it is really easy to say, you are not sick. There's no way you're going to throw up in this moment. That's just worry, spiraling you around that. And and what you and I would both know is that anxiety, we could track development and know what kids are going to get stuck on in terms of the worried loop of thoughts based on their development, because it's the worst thing they can imagine at that age. For parents, the worst thing that you can imagine is something happening to your kids. Yeah. But instead of being able to say, I'm not sick, I'm not going to throw up, it feels real. Anything that you start to perseverate on a parent can feel like this is my intuition and I've got to take care of my kids in this rather than I'm in a worried loop and I'm stuck. And so I think like you said, teasing that voice out, learning to recognize that's anxiety. That's not my gut. That's not my intuition. That's not the Holy Spirit speaking through my gut. Seems like the first thing we do. And then learning to pray and trust that that's, God's voice. And and that's certainly what I do as a therapist more than anything. I just pray that my gut is in line with the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what I've learned to trust the most in a conversation with somebody as to where to go next, as to the question to ask. And I think for parents, intuition is a superpower. Yeah. And the more they use it, the more they lean into it, I think the more they'll trust it. Yeah. And paradoxically, you're right. Anxiety. And I love in the book, you just go after it. It's a tool of the enemy because paradoxically, it actually takes us away from that Mm. God-given intuition, that God-given Holy Spirit-led gut. And so I love what you're saying. I kind of want to just slow this down here for the listeners is number one, learn to identify the voice of anxiety. In the book, you say, give anxiety a name. It's a part of you. And you learn to differentiate from it when you name something, right? You're saying, this is not all of who I am. I'm putting it out here. I'm separating out from it. And you give some great names. With You do it with kids where they can really learn to identify, oh no, this is the worry voice. This is the worry monster. This is, But that's what we do as parents too. We have to start to go, this is my anxious voice. So number one is just identifying that. I would suggest for those of you listening, if your heart rate is up, if your pulse is high, if you're in that state of fight flight, if you're tense, if you're feeling panicky. If you're stuck and it's the same thought circling back around and around. All of those things are a good cue. It's your worry. And then you've got to do those other exercises. You go through the grounding, the mindfulness, the calming so that you're not making decisions out of that anxious place. And that's what taps you back into that gut. The big part of it as parents is first identifying when we're in the anxious mind. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And again, it's hard to do because it feels more valid than any other 
topic that our anxiety is going to attack, context that anxiety is going to attach to. It's so frustrating to check a label only to find all sorts of hidden sugars, especially when it's vitamins for your kids. Haya vitamins are made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet they taste great and are perfect for picky eaters. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, T, bones, and more. Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. The bright yellow bottle, complete with stickers and great taste, makes taking vitamins fun for kids of all ages. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash best of you. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash best of you and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. I am so happy to have discovered Sunday's Food for Dogs. It's nutritious, affordable, air-dried dog food that contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and zero synthetic nutrients. Sunday's was co-founded by Dr. Tori, a practicing veterinarian, and besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, you'll find digestive aids and disease-fighting antioxidants for your beloved pets. Dog lovers report noticeable health improvements in their pups, including softer fur, fresher breath, better poops, and more energy. My dogs love Sundays. I have two. One in particular is a picky eater. Normal dog food just doesn't work for her, but they love Sundays, and we feel so good about feeding them the best quality food. We want them in our family for a long time to come, and Sundays is giving them our very best. Unlike other fresh dog food, Sundays is zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. It's shelf-stable, which means it's easy for you to feed your pup top-quality food. Every order ships right to your door, so you'll never worry about running out of dog food again. And best of all, it costs 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sundays doesn't waste money shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters most, sourcing the best all-natural ingredients for your pup. We worked out a special deal for our dog-loving listeners. Get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash bestofyou or use code bestofyou at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash bestofyou. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. What do you see as the most common things that anxiety is going after. In one section of the book, you gave a list, you did a poll on social media, and you sort of created a list of the kinds of things anxiety is saying, the ways that it's speaking. Can you share some of those with us? Two that stand out to me right now, just off the top of my head. I mean, one is I think anxiety makes us attach future meaning to present problems. And so parents will say things like, I remember a mom who said to me, we were on a trip, And my daughter threw her trash at the trash can and she did not put it in. And she left it there for the cleaning people to pick up. She is not going to learn how to function as a human. (laughs) And I I thought, well, I mean, I I get that that was disrespectful and unaware. 
And I think we're making this a little bigger maybe than the situation warrants. But but that same version of the story I have heard thousands of times of something my child's missing right now means that they're not going to be able to drive. They're not going to be able to have healthy relationships. They're not going to be able to, we just project and project and project and project. And so that would be one definite theme. But really the other, and when I did that social media poll, I think in some ways it may have kind of birthed this book more than anything, but I was so disheartened for parents about their own sense of failure. That's what I felt like they were circling around the most was I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing enough. I don't know how I'm not the right parent. You know, all the things, all the places we go in our heads when we're not our healthiest selves. And that voice, whether it's the anxious voice or a critical voice, when we're leaning out of that, that's what then is actually, like you said, I love the analogy of the amygdala. It's what's bleeding out to our kids. It's what's leaking out to them. They're picking up on that. It can feel righteous in a weird sort of way. That's not the right word to beat yourself up. I'm a terrible parent, but it's not helpful. It's not helpful to us and it's not helpful to our kids. So what's a way to reframe that? How do we reframe that voice in our heads as we begin to notice it? Well, I would want, I mean, it's part of that code word of of wanting parents to back up in the moment and do the breathing. And I want parents to think about why am I anxious in this moment? Because I think as much as parents feel like failure, as much as they're getting angry, it's typically because what they're wanting for their kids in that moment is really good. Yeah. I'm angry as we're trying to get out of the door for school, really, because I know my child's already had five tardies this semester. And if they get another one, they're going to have to go to Saturday school, and then they're going to miss the birthday party that they really wanted to go to. And so it's all of these good things I want for my kids, but the, the delivery is off. And I'm getting angry instead of stopping myself and saying, I'm wanting more for them in this moment than they do. I'm more invested than they are. I've got to stop and let them deal with the consequences. But I think that reframing idea of I feel anxious even because I care about my kids. I'm, I'm trying to be the best parent I can be. I think that enables us to have a kinder, kinder, gentler voice towards ourselves. Yeah, I love that. I had a friend years ago, and sometimes this comes back to me, but she would say the phrase, sometimes you have to let the ceiling fall. Mm. And I think about that just when you were describing that moment, like even in my own life still, something will happen, I'll get sick. I had COVID recently and I had to cancel some things and it can feel like the world's gonna end. And it's such a good reminder of, oh, the world doesn't end. It actually just keeps going. It's okay. you know. And I think the more we pause to really notice those things in our, gosh, the world didn't end. Here we are, (laughs) but there's a gentleness to that. Even in those parenting moments, I love what you're saying. Like, I don't want my kid, you know, to get another tardy and the world won't end. We're going to be okay. We're here. You know, just really that changing that self-talk inside Mm -hmm. of us and sort of showing up with that with our kiddos. Yes. And even having things in the, I mean, as you were saying that, it made me think, and if that parent could go to... Not only is the ceiling not going to fall, but I know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And so what my child is learning in this moment is hope, which is so much more valuable than the fact that they're going to get another tardy. Mm, That's good. Oh, that's so good. So, Sissy, just as we kind of wind down here, tell us a little bit about what's bringing you hope 
as you work with kids, as you work with families, as you work with parents, what's bringing you hope? Hmm. You know, the thing I would probably say, I'm going to go to a really dark time before I come back to that, if that's okay. We have a little summer retreat program for the kids that are in counseling. So I have been there this summer and I've been in worship every night and really rich teaching. And, and I think all of those things this summer. But when you ask that question, where I went to was, as you said, I was really, I have been very involved in the Covenant School forever and was a friend of Catherine Kuntz, the head of school, and have spoken over there a lot of times. And we have a lot of Daystar families that are there. And and so I was at the reunification center that day and just walking closely through that with the school and the families. And, you know, I mean, it, it's just one of the worst things that is imaginable in our world, certainly as a parent, as a therapist. I mean, all of it. It's just, it's unspeakable. And because I'd been there anyway, I ended up being on some news programs talking about it because of being local and all of that. And one of them was CNN. And I had gotten a call to go down early in the morning to be on this live CNN broadcast. And I get really nervous on things like that. And I don't want to, but I certainly do. And I was nervous about going. And I was so emotional and just exhausted and depleted. This was the very morning after it happened. And I was supposed to be there, I can't remember, 5.30 in the morning. And I went down and I had not thought about the fact that it's cold in Nashville in March in the mornings. And and I thought we were going to be inside some kind of trailer. And I go down and we're outside and I'm a nervous wreck. And, you know, I'm standing there. I didn't even know what it was going to look like. And it was like across from the White House. You know, you see all the people lined up and all the people are lined up on the street. And I'm waiting to go on camera on live TV. And when I get cold, my kneecaps shake. That's such a silly thing, but I don't know why they do it. But my kneecaps were shaking. I don't know if it was more colder nerves. And I turned around and, and the street we were standing on was directly opposite the Covenant School. And, you know, this was late March. And so here was the sign for Covenant. And that means you're entering onto their property. And and I was, you know, I mean, it's just the darkest day I've ever experienced living in Nashville. And then next to that sign was a sign for the Easter services. And I thought, that's it. Like, there is nothing else we can say on our darkest day that I remember other than He is risen. And and this is the reason we even have Easter. And And I think that reminder of hope has really carried me. Every time I go back to that, every time I think about it, I mean, that has spoken to me more powerfully than anything. But even in the midst of this darkest hour, yes, He has risen. Yeah, it's not the end. That's it. That's the basis of our hope. And that is, I love that. I mean, against the backdrop of everything you're trying to communicate through what you do and through this book, that's why we have to do this work of staying calm and staying in a place of hope. That's it. You know, we while we are still living, while we are still this side of heaven, we have reason to hope. And we have reason to give that hope to our kids. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Well, right back at you, Allison. You are delightful to talk with. Oh, my gosh. I just imagine you among all of these kids. And I'm just so, so grateful. And I know it's not easy. I know you see really hard things and just such good work that you're putting into the world. So thank you for that. Tell people how they can find you, how they can find your your work and, and this beautiful book that's just coming out into the world. You're so kind. Raisingboysandgirls.com is our website. And so it connects you to all things related to us. And we get to be a part of the same family, the same podcast family, which is so fun. So we're 
podcast cousins. We could call ourselves that. I love it. At TSF. And you can find that at RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. And then I try to be as active as I can on social media, helping parents as much as possible. So Sissy Goff on Instagram. And then David Thomas, who's my male counterpart, he and I both are doing things on Raising Boys and Girls. Great. I love it. Well, please get yourself a copy of it. It's so practical, so wise, so gentle. I mean, you really struck a balance of giving some real truths um, in a really gentle, encouraging, beautiful way. So check it out. And I have one last question I ask all my guests, which is what is bringing out the best of you right now? Oh, that's a great question. I would say I have a senior dog. She is almost 15. And she, like we do as we get older, she doesn't sleep as much. And so she has gotten into the habit in the last year of waking me up at 6 or 6.15 every morning. I didn't used to wake up that early. And it is bringing out the best of me. It has taught me to have margin in a way that I wasn't having it before. And I love it. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here, Sissy. Allison, thank you for having me. Thank you for your voice in the world and the difference you're making. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of The Best of You. It would mean so much if you'd take a moment to subscribe. You can go to Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click the plus or follow button. That will ensure you don't miss an episode and it helps get the word out to others. While you're there, I'd love it if you leave your five-star review. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, you honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.